the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we are going to Lithgow it up. Lithgo, Lithgow, I'm not sure. I always said Lithgo. Uh, but that's what we're going to do. We're kind of going to do a bit of a dedicated episode to him, to him. And we're going to start off by talking uh, the 1984 film Footloose. And then we are going to review the uh, 90s, early 2000s show Third Rock from the Sun. And then we're going to take on our own casting of Footloose, even though they already had one just over a decade ago. But I don't think anyone would give a crap about that movie. I certainly didn't. No, no, they didn't. No. No. So, um, I'm Adam. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, hey, I'm John. Hey, there we go. A little late, better than never. <laughs> so, <laughs> all that stuff is going down today. Uh, kind of started off with uh, really wanting to do Footloose, and then we're like, hey, John Lithgow. He was good stuff, and he was good in everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about that stuff. And John, 1984, a year before the really big thing happened in everyone's lives, everyone's life, which is the year I was born, but 1984 is still probably pretty decent. What else happened then, or what happened that year? All right, so the film was released on February 17th, 1984. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week was Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. Karma, 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 karma Okay, classic. I mean, I definitely remember having that uh, that seventy five or whatever the uh, album thirty mm. or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings was the show Dallas. Okay, I mean that's like a classic primetime soap opera. That's yeah. the the shoot, who shot Jr. Isn't that one? Yep, exactly. Yeah. On this exact same day, Nintendo released the initial arcade version of Punch Out. Oh, okay, nice. I've always sucked at Punch-Out, but I like it. I've actually been practicing it because I have like a, a small like a Nintendo Mini, um, right. so I do practice it. I'm stuck on the final guy. Uh, ah. It's not Mike Tyson. It's, this is the it's the version before Mike Tyson did his branded one, but I still right. I'm just not as I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> the New York Times bestseller for this week was Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. Nice, classic. And my fun fact for 1984, this is when the United States Army retired Donald Duck from active duty, quote, on his 50th birthday in 1984 with the rank of Buck Sergeant. Buck Which Sergeant. Which is weird okay. that the Army would retire him because I'm pretty sure he was a sailor. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was his whole thing. He was he was a Navy man. Yes. Okay. So unless that was a typo and they meant to put Navy, which is entirely possible. Well, I mean, I've seen you've seen him. I've seen him in like army garb too, with like a helmet, you know, for like a couple different states. Right. But sure. So anyway, that was 1984. All right. Interesting enough. Uh, now it's time to cut loose. Footloose. All right. 1984. Footloose, directed by Herbert Ross. Uh, he also directed things like Steel Magnolias, Secret of My Success, Funny Lady, a couple different things that you've heard okay. of. 
Heard of. Never seen any of them, though. I haven't even seen Steel Magnolias. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty well-known one. I, I'm kind of mm-hmm. more surprised you haven't seen Secret of My Success, which, granted, I haven't either. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I don't know why. I'm just surprised you haven't seen it for some reason. So, ah. uh, the Footloose was written by Dean Pritch, Pitchford, uh, who was actually more of a songwriter, did a lot of the, co-wrote a lot of the music on this album as well. Okay. Um, and also also wrote songs for the Fame soundtrack, including the title track. Yeah. Um, he won an Oscar for that. And uh, he wrote, you know, the, as I said, the different songs, like, you know, co-wrote Holding Out for a Hero, co-wrote all the other pretty much songs on this album. So nice. I do want to call out this movie was edited by Paul Hirsch. Uh, who has done oh, a couple movies you've probably heard of. Carrie, um, Star Wars A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Ferris Bueller, Mission Impossible, Ray, uh, a whole bunch of stuff that uh, Just uh, some Paul small Hirsch indie, edited. Small indie films. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, the cast for this movie. Ren is played by Kevin Bacon. Uh, he's been in Wild Things, Mystic River, Tremors, and is six degrees from whoever is listening right now. You're six degrees away from Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Tremors is another one we got to get on the list soon. It is. I have actually. I do have it on the list to do. I think maybe awesome. this summer. Um, cool. I'm. I'm not sure what we'll do with it, but I, I've just put it on there because, like, I mean, I, we adore both of us adore that film. Yeah. So, Ariel is played by Lori Singer. Uh, she was on the Fame TV show. Uh, she was in that Tom Hanks movie, The Man with One Red Shoe, and not a whole bunch of credits for her. Okay. So. But something interesting about her, uh, she is the daughter of a conductor. Um, she was apparently a musical prodigy, and she uh, made her debut as a cellist with the Oregon Symphony at 13 years old. Wow. And at 14 years old, she got accepted to Juilliard and became one of their youngest graduates. Wow. Um, she has since, I think she she took lessons like at one of Yo-Yo Ma's schools, but she's played with him. Like mm-hmm. she is still, to my knowledge, very accomplished cellist. Wow, so that's, her, that's cool. That's pretty cool. Reverend Shaw Moore uh, is exactly who we had mentioned earlier. John Lithgow. Uh, he's from Third Rock from the Sun, the Shrek series. He played uh, Lord Far Farquad, Fuckwad, whatever you want to say. It is <laughs> Dexter. He was a, a, a really good stint. Uh, won an Emmy on, I believe, on Dexter. Uh, the Twilight Zone movie. I kind of always remember him in that one. Yeah. Um, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. He's been in tons of stuff. So. Did you mention Harry and the Hendersons? Oh, I didn't mention Harry and the Hendersons, of course. Another another kid classic. Yep. So, V, or Vi, I always said to Vi, I guess. Vi Moore is played by Diane Weist, who we talked about a couple different times already in Parenthood and Edward Scissorhands. She was also in The Birdcage. Uh, she's been a tons of stuff herself. Fantastic actress. That's an actress who I think, for like the most part, flies under the radar of people and, and kind of people take for granted because she's... She's such a wonderful chameleon of an actress who kind of can blend into any story that you kind of, not that you forget that she's there, but you forget that that's Diane Weist. Yeah. Uh, she, every time she pops up, she's always plays these kind of reserved characters mostly, Yeah. That, but just it blends into every story she's ever a part of. Yeah, and kind of what, uh, we've definitely mentioned this before in Parenthood, and I see this again in this movie. I think that's a perfect way you put it, blending in. She kind of almost, not necessarily meek, but maybe she's a little bit meek in this movie. In this one, yeah, I would go But when it's her scene to shine, she steps up and shows you she's a fucking awesome actress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Willard is played by Christopher Penn, R.I.P. Uh, he was uh, Sean Penn's brother. And uh, it was in Reservoir Dogs, All the Right Moves. He had a good bit of credits himself. 
and then uh, Rusty, who is a friend of Ariel's and kind of, you know, with Willard a little bit later in the movie, uh, played by Sarah Jessica Parker. And we've talked about her before, um, but she's in Mars Attacks, the Hocus Pocus franchise, Sex in the City, uh, tons of stuff, obviously, to Sarah Jessica Parker. I already mentioned Dean Pitchford and the soundtrack, but this was a huge soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, when the soundtrack album came out, it hit number one on the Billboard album charts, and it actually was the one, the last one um, that Thriller, it basically kind of dethroned Thriller after okay. a while. Now, Thriller had 30, I think it was 37 weeks at number one. There was a couple things that kind of popped in there every now and then in between. Actually, the album we're going to be talking about near in the future Police Synchronicity, I noticed, was one of them. So, Mm. like, Thriller would be big, and then there would be a couple other things, then Thriller would come back, uh, and then the last one that kind of dethroned it was this Footloose soundtrack. So, pretty cool there. Cool. And it was, I think it held, yeah, it says it held that position for 10 weeks. So, this was a popular album. And it's a great soundtrack. Oh, man, I'm going to be cutting in so many songs (laughs) from it, because they just, they make me feel good. Yeah, so many good, so much good stuff. Yep. Uh, the movie was an $8.2 million budget and a box office of $80 million, so basically 10 times your mm-hmm. uh, you know return on investment, so that's pretty damn good. And as we mentioned, they did already do a remake of this movie in 2011. It had Julianne Hough. Uh, Kenny Warmold played the Ken- Kevin Bacon character. Uh, Miles Teller played Willard. Um, I never saw it. I don't. It doesn't sound like you did either. No, and I had no desire to, and I was not. I was, you couldn't have drugged me to that because I was <laughs> sure. too loyal to this one. Sometimes, sometimes movies just don't need to be remade because guess what? We have DVDs, we have streaming, we have things that would just go back and rewatch the old version. Now, granted, that goes against uh, a lot of the casting that we've talked about because sometimes a remake can be better. You mm-hmm. know, it has it has happened or comparable or comparable, absolutely. So. I do remember, for me, our nostalgia of the film. Let's talk a little bit about that. I kind of remember this movie just kind of being around, being around pretty often. Mm -hmm. I feel like both of our parents liked this one, you know, just kind of separately or whatnot. So I feel like this one, and I couldn't remember if we watched it more at mom's or more at dad's, but either, or maybe we even had the the VHS somewhere. I can't remember, but I just Mm -hmm. remember this movie being one that every now and then would pop on and, and we'd all have a good time. Yeah, I agree. It was pretty much just always there. I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you. I, I, we might have watched it more at mom's, only because we were at mom's more. Yeah, it might be what I remember. But I, I can't say that dad didn't like it. Yeah, he, I'm, I'm certain he did. Yeah, yeah. So. It seemed like it would be right up his alley anyway. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, let's get things going, and we're gonna start off with some opening credits uh, that have some awesome feet dancing to that iconic Footloose song by Kenny Loggins. After that, we start off in the Midwest town of Beaumont. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, small town America. And we meet uh, Reverend Moore. He's giving a vigilant sermon, which is one of those kind of fire and brimstone yeah. type of uh, preachers. And this whole movie was very, very loosely based on an actual event. Oh, I didn't know that. So there was a, a small farming town uh, called Elmore City in Oklahoma. 
1978, uh, dancing had been banned for nearly 90 years. Not nine years at that point, 90 years. And a group of high school teenagers challenged it and got it overturned. Oh, and they actually actually had success? Yeah, apparently. Wow. Because, all right, we'll find out if these kids have success. Kind (laughs) of, but not really, but kind of. Uh, (laughs) All right. But he's preaching against all types of stuff and that horrid rock and roll music uh, that we know is what makes all these kids terrible kids. Just awful. I can't believe that was a thing. I can't believe that people think that. No. That's some Tipper Gore shit. Yeah. That is all that kind of crap. I don't know if you remember that, but Tipper Gore was the one who instigated like the the um wanting like the warning signs on yes, CDs explicit, and stuff explicit like that, lyrics, and like which increased album sales for the course. albums that got that. Absolutely, <laughs> you tell someone they can't have something, they immediately want it. It, 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 it was like a symbol of coolness uh-huh. if it had the explicit on it. So yeah, no, I I knew exactly what you're talking about with that. <laughs> so. All right, um, so we see Ren there, also Ariel, who's kind of looking over at him. You know, he's the new kid in town, uh, we're kind of figuring out. we, In general, also kind of see that some people are really into the sermon, others are not. It's mostly like the older people are really into it, but the younger generation are all kind of bored by it, and they all just think it's BS. So, all right, um, we meet Ren and his mother, and I didn't mention his mother earlier, but... Uh, Ren's mother is played by Frances Lee McCain, who we had talked about recently in Gremlins in Stand yep. By Me. She's in Back to the Future. She was one of those actresses, like kind of those mother figure actresses who we had mentioned. She's just in tons of stuff. And you kind of you kind of forget, but she's just always there. Yeah. So uh, so they just moved to town and they're staying with her sister and we meet the reverend again. They, they're going to talk further. Ariel and her friends kind of come up and they meet him and then they run away and they kind of all think. They all think he's cute. Ren thinks, he, but Ariel's a little aloof about it. You know, she's got to be coy. As they uh, drive, the, as the girls drive, they talk about stuff. Talk about stuff that the Reverend would not like. Uh, they're talking about all <laughs> this kind of, you know, things that teenagers talk about. Uh, but also, to me, just further shows that the youth is not of the same mindset of the rest of this town, of the older generation, of the Reverend, etc. So. Then drives up this country guy in his country jacked up fucking truck. Um, and it's this dude, Chuck, who is obviously dating Ariel or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they are all just insanely rec- rec- uh, insanely reckless in this scene as the song The Girl Gets Around by Sammy Hagar plays. So I'm going to give you a, a little bit of information that shocked me. Okay. Uh, I specifically watched this with my son. I said, you're going to watch this with me. And he had been asking me, like, when are you going to watch Footloose? Because we had okay. talked about Kevin Bacon. So we're going to watch it. Around this scene is when my wife walked in. She watched this scene with us. And when it was over, she turned and looked at me with a shocked face and goes, what the hell is this movie? And my shocked face was... Have you never seen Footloose? She's never seen Footloose. And I was like, sit down. And she went, no, and walked out. (laughs) That sounds like something your wife would do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So my my shocking revelation out of this entire thing was that my wife has never seen Footloose. That that, uh, for someone of that age who has been around the 80s, you know, she was around for the entire 80s. Right. Like, you'd think she would have seen this at some point. And also, like, she in her youth was a dancer 
And I would have expected her to see all the dance because I'm pretty sure she's seen all the other sort of dancing centric movies. Yeah. And so I'm like, now I'm I'm still like in shock of. I think now she's just not going to watch it out of spite because I want her <laughs> of to. Course. Because she, yeah, it's your fault for saying, "Hey, you got to sit down here and watch it." Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I just, in, I was in shock. Like the whole rest of the movie, I'm like, I can't believe she's never seen it. Yeah, so fair. But my son did watch it with me, so I'll talk about that at the end. Excited, excited to get his take on it. So, uh, so Ariel in this dangerous scene, she's like going from one car drive the car that's driving next to the other one that's driving. At one point, she's kind of just like straddled in between the two of them as this mm-hmm. semi truck is coming towards the one that's in the uh, opposite going lane, and it it seems like they're you know about to all die. She quickly gets into that other into the big uh, truck, and they narrowly escape death. I'm going to tell you another funny story real quick. This whole time uh, we're watching this scene, I'm like, watch, uh, I'm talking to my son. I'm like, watch, buddy, a motorcycle is going to go under her legs. And I'm like, it didn't happen. I'm like, that was inner space. There was literally the same scene where like, um, oh, what's his name? Martin Short was in between the two and like the, yeah. the, in, uh, the motorcycles in between. I'm like, man, the 80s loved their car to car split scenes. Yeah, it was all about getting on a car. I mean, I also think it like it was different, but. Uh, the, the guy on Styles on Teen Wolf get on top of the car, car surfing, mm-hmm. things like that. You had to be on or jumping on top of cars. That's how it goes. Yeah. So, all right, in the town, uh, Reverend talks to the people some more. One person brings up the school is teaching that awful book, Slaughterhouse Five, and uh, Ren read has apparently read it, and he says, "Oh yeah, great book." Um, but they're all uh, taken aback. I mean, just showing the difference between him who come came from Chicago and this small town that, you know, can't understand culture that's not their own, mm-hmm. basically, or just their own Christian values, if you will. At dinner, uh, Ren's away. He's just kind of stepped away from dinner because he's just he's in a mindset where he's not happy where he's where he is right now. He does not. He doesn't want to be in this town. But I do love uh, at the dinner table, his little cousin gives him a little compliment as he, as she talks to her the rest of her family. If you ask me, Ren's a total fox. <laughs> and, <laughs> and of course the parents are all like, you know, especially the dad who is a douche. I want, I want to punch the dad I, in the face. I had the same thought. I'm like, god, I just want to smack you in the face. Yeah. Um but they are like, where did you hear that language? Which I was I'm going to say is a credit to the actor. Oh, yeah, he does a good. I mean, <laughs> he just he just screams that douchey midwestern 80s kind of i'm the you know overly you know that extra religious where it's domineering religion you know mm-hmm. i've got a lot of religious friends who aren't domineering but he you know that town is and, I, and that's yeah. the whole thing here so all right uh later at the local diner all of ariel's friends of course are upset that you know there's just madness on the highway uh, and then ariel pulls out a tape with a little bit of contraband because you know, we're kind of figuring out that this rock and roll music is banned and we'll learn a little bit more about dancing and whatnot. But she grabs this boombox from Chuck's car and starts playing Dancing in the Sheets by Bill Wolfer. Everybody's singing, everybody's kind of dancing along, and then Reverend Moore comes up, and he shuts it down, and you can just tell the entire town is scared shitless of him, basically. Like, he is one of the big leaders in the community, Mm -hmm. but he just came by to drop off money for Ariel, and you can just tell by his face, 
disappointed. He is so disappointed. Um, I actually want to just briefly throw this in there. I noticed this is where I think you're going to get differences between really strong actors and just actors. I particularly noticed this in both John Lithgow. I keep saying Lithgow. I guess I say Lithgow, not Lithgow, whatever. Mm -hmm. In both John Lithgow and Diane Weiss, this entire movie is subtle things in their face, just little reactions that they Mm -hmm. do that you can, you can understand what's in their head as the character just by seeing these little things. Like you can see some of this stuff, this doubt that Diane Weist has, you know, that, that, that Vi, her character has about some of the, the preachings that her husband has just by these little moments, these little facial things. And that is really where, where the strong acting comes in. And I see the same thing in this moment here um, with the, the Reverend, but just in general, I just want to, want to bring that up. So no, that's a good point. And like that shocked, look on his face where it's like you can he wants to be angry but he's more disappointed than anything else Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have to say anything because he only has like a few lines and he just says your mom thought you didn't have any money and that's really what all he says in the scene everything else in this scene is physical what also to me is really good storytelling is here's where the moment they could say you know, I can't believe you would do this. You know, your your brother died for this right. kind of stuff. And like, but that's where you're you're getting all that emotion on his face where he's so disappointed in, in Ariel because their family has particularly suffered because of, quote unquote, you know, the, the, the horrificness of rock music and dancing and what it's led to. And so he can't he can't fathom why, you know, she she is doing this and why he's so that he's so disappointed in her. But we find that out later. You know, I feel like in lesser stories, he would just say it right now. But here we're getting these layers built on these different characters where we're kind of finding out how they became the way they are. Um, And I I just particularly appreciate that. Cool. All right. uh, The next day, Ren drives to school while blasting quiet riots bang your head out of the radio of his uh, VW Beetle. Uh, Everyone looks at him weird because he's got, you know, that new kid vibe. Distracted, he... uh, even accidentally, you know, he's just walking, accidentally runs into this guy, Willard, who at first is very aggressive, but Ren stands up for himself, and Willard likes that. You know, he's, he's hey, you stick to your gun. So they kind of, we're going to become, boom, instant friends. He does call out Ariel in the hallway. He remembers her name. And just in general, we can tell that there's a connection there. Uh, at lunch, Ren uh, is with Willard, and they're talking. You're talking about... You know, he's talking about his times in Chicago, like at different clubs, you know, he used to go dancing and hooking up with girls and all this kind of stuff. He ends up fucking with Willard a good right. little bit, just part of <laughs> his humor and their dynamic. And I like that. Uh, and then Rusty and the other girls, you know, kind of pull them over, um, you know, to bring them to their table and talk with them. And we find out that dancing is illegal in this town and all this kind of stuff. Which, I mean, how, how are you going to enforce that, really? I mean, just, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you can just say, like, organized dances are illegal, but, yes. I mean, how in the hell are you going to outlaw? Because my other thing is, he later, slightly later, later on, um, he's listening to classical music. Mm-hmm. A lot of classical music were ballets. Yeah. And that's set to dance. Yeah. And so, Hypocritical. Yeah. Hypocritical. But also, we know that some of these kids um, must have been dancing on their own because some of them are quite good, as we'll find out later on. <laughs> They must have been practicing somewhere, John. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, Ren and uh, Willard, they drive around. They're just kind of 
playing and talking about music, uh, which Willard doesn't really know any of this stuff because, again, this is a very sheltered town. Cops pull them over, and these cops are complete assholes. You know, they're just poking this new kid. They're just instigating him, basically, just, just trying to, you know, let him know who's in charge. It's a lot of small-town bullshit is what it is. Mm-hmm. So um, we cut to him explaining things at dinner and his aunt and uncle are just they're so stuffy, just like the rest of the town. So just kind of further showing the the separation between Ren's generation and the older generation that's currently in charge. So uh, at Ariel's home, uh, the reverend works on a future sermon. And this is exactly the point that you brought up where they're listening to some kind of classical music. Uh, Ariel apologizes about, you know, the drive in diner and stuff like that. She asks about, well, how come you're playing this music and that's okay, but not rock music? Again, it's utter bullshit. Mm-hmm. So later after school, Ariel goes with Chuck in a car uh, who they almost kind of run into Ren and his beetle. And he's just a douche to Ren. He's, he's, he's being set up as the villain for sure, creating that quick enemy between the two of them. Yeah. So Ren tries to get a part-time job, um, but he's getting some grief because, you know, again, it's kind of a small town and people are already hearing about him. Um, but, you know, his tenacity is kind of what keeps working with Ren. It mm-hmm. worked with Rillard where he kind of stepped up against Willard and it's working because he gets this job. We cut to him kind of lifting these, you know, bags of something. And then Ariel swings by and uh, lets him know that Chuck wants to see him out on his father's farm and he's calling him out or uh you know everyone will know he's scared like this, this is a and you can tell ren doesn't give a shit about this but what he does give a shit about is ariel and so that's why he's gonna go later ren tells willard about this interaction all while he's doing a high bar gymnastic moves <laughs> which you could totally tell was not kevin bacon <laughs> yes he cut in between but we just see that ren is interested in ariel and uh willard just kind of gives a small little bio on her and says, I don't know, I've, I've heard she's kissed a lot of girls, or I, I've heard that she's been kissed a lot, yeah. things like that. So, All right, then we cut to Ariel with Chuck, who obviously they're just post the throes of sex, or passion, if you will, out in the woods. Um, and, you know, we hear that uh, she wants out of this town. She brings up that she she wants to go to college. She wants to continue out of Beaumont, and she wants to, she badly wants to get out of there. So, and at this point, I don't understand how Chuck doesn't get that he is <laughs> yeah. temporary. Yeah. Oh, that's valid. That's a good call. Like she clearly it is more important to her to get out of this town than to be with him. And mm-hmm. he doesn't see that 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 he's it's going to happen. He's going to lose her. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that ties but he, into a little bit he, of small town mentality. It is, and I, it also speaks to Chuck's like inability to understand, like you know, like under misunderstand his own importance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Ren is going to do a chicken race with tractors against Chuck, uh, who also apparently smoked a lot of weed before this, which I don't even know why they included that. Uh, so. They're going to get tensions are running high. They're on different sides of this little path with the tractors. And Ariel starts the race by throwing hat in the air. And music goes. It's I Need a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. I fucking love this scene. Yeah, it's a good scene. 
the music is going. It's, it's getting you pumped. It's driving. Bonnie Tyler is just great. I love that song. But, you know, you're getting this weird chicken race, which obviously Ren doesn't really know how to do how to ride a tractor or drive a tractor all that much. And right. it's, it's awkward for him. He keeps like moving shit that he's not supposed to. He ends up getting his shoelace stuck on the pedal. And so he's trying to jump off and what and, and get and you know, and, and ditch. But he can't physically. He can't bail out. So things get so close that Chuck is the one who has to bail out <laughs> and Ren wins the race. And he's, you know, yay lauded as the as the most brave and hero amongst them. Right. Which partly in my head, I was like, wait a minute. This obviously this if it was me, <laughs> you know, they're not going all that fast. They're going fast ish. But this obviously isn't Ren's tractor. Right. He, we even hear that it's at Chuck's daddy's farm. Yeah. So this is very likely Chuck's equipment or Chuck's parents' equipment. Right. I would go there and I wouldn't give any fucks if I <laughs> rammed straight into this other thing because it's your fault for for you're the one who called this damn chicken race with your parents' equipment. Right. I don't give a fuck if I crash it. It's right. your fault. <laughs> exactly. But that's just me. So I did anyway, like. Uh, sorry. Hmm. There's a little moment I did, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not but i if it wasn't i like that they kept it in where ren starts to celebrate and then the tractor keeps going and then he has to yeah. stay, and i don't know it's such a small thing but i like it f- makes it feel more real to me because he definitely doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> yeah i agreed i had this exact same thought i was like i don't know if that was on purpose but it fits so perfectly yeah all right uh later Rusty gives all the details about Ren. She's dishing uh, about Ren to Ariel. And you just see that she's into him. You know, he's the new kind of top dog in town. And Ariel's attracted to that. Um, But also, just in general, she still just wants to get the fuck out of Beaumont. At school, a kid tries to sell Ren some weed. uh, But Ren is not interested. He's, you know, he's he doesn't need to get high to be, you know, to have fun, John. Uh, But this kid gives him a sample and of course a teacher kind of pops in right then and there and Ren has to flush it down the toilet to keep from getting caught. So, but just, it furthers his reputation as being kind of a bad boy. Do you think that kid did it on purpose? It, it seems kind of, oh, you know what? Maybe I feel like, was he a kid that we saw in Chuck's? That's what I initially thought. That could have been. I don't know if it was because some of the kids looked all the same. They do. Yeah. They do. <laughs> totally but my initial thought was like he was trying to get him in trouble on purpose. Yeah, very possible. So he might have been a part of Chuck's crew that kind of did that because we also just tied we just tied weed to Chuck in the previous scene, and now this kid is trying to force weed upon uh, Ren to get him in trouble. Oh, yeah, you know what? I bet you're right. I bet you're right. Okay. At the house, uh, the uncle confronts Ren about you know hearing about these, these troubles in town that he's doing, and I just wrote he's a turd. <laughs> but it, it it pisses Ren off who has to leave and go blow off some steam. And John, you know what us cool guys do when we need to let off steam? We do it by gymnasticking and dancing all around a warehouse, having some beer to the song Never by Moving Pictures. <laughs> So, uh, it's a semi-funny story. When I was in college, there was a guy who was a TA in the percussion department who randomly one day recreated the scene in the hallways outside the (laughs) percussion studio, and there were only a couple of us, or two or three of us, who saw him do it, but 
it was one of the funniest things we'd ever seen. And we kept asking him to do it again, but he would never do it again. And it was just kind of a one moment. But it was like, mm-hmm. it was funny because he was doing it. I don't think there was any music playing. I think he literally uh, was just doing it down the hallway. It, was, yeah. it just made a laugh. It was made a laugh. It was funny. I mean, it's an absolute ridiculous scene when you think about it. Right. When you watch it, honestly. It, you know, it is about the frustrations that he's dealing with. It's, it's, you know, this song has a lot of musical elements, so they're tying that into what the movie can. So there's, you know, I'm kind of, I'm definitely curious about what your son thought about some of these scenes, particularly this one and the other Mm -hmm. ones, because they do stand out as a bit iconic as just, they're, they're almost too cheesy, you know, like this isn't real, right? but I actually like them and I like that they're kind of a little extra, you know, it it adds to the 80s flair for me. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, then Ariel cuts in, stops him, basically, and they talk, and she flirts with him. Uh, and, again, she talks about applying to colleges and whatnot, and um, just overall, just a little bit of flirting on her side. Um, she then takes Ren to this area. Um, well, he also kind of backtalks her. No, not backtalks her, but kind of makes a comment what Willard said earlier, that, oh, maybe she's kissed a lot of guys and that kind of stuff. And she's like, oh, you don't think much of me or this town, do you? And whatnot, and so then she takes Ren to this area where there have these kids have written a whole bunch of stuff that they're not supposed to read, or maybe they've written some poetry of their own. Mm-hmm. It's just like almost like this, um, you know, empty construction area or something. You can't really tell. It's kind of like a almost construction office or whatnot. But um, it does show there are parts of this town that have artistic love. That there is a spirit of the youth here. Yes, it's pushed down and suppressed, but it's not dead that there, there are, you know, there's hope for mm-hmm. this town. I, I, that's where I got out of this one. Yeah. Then they hear a train. Then we get the weirdest fucking scene in the movie. So they hear a train coming and, you know, Ariel brings up. Yeah. Sometimes people come up here. They just make out to it. Or sometimes they just scream, you know, and this shows her frustrations, but she just jumps in front of the train. And I know we did stand by me not too long ago. I'm like, man, we're getting a lot of train <laughs> dodge scenes and stuff like my that. son pointed that same thing out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, So, but she just stands in front of it and she yells. I do think it's interesting in the editing of this movie because they did a kind of like a, a tactic. They kind of they show it to you three times where you hear the yell, she puts her hand out, and then they show it again and then they show it again, yeah. even though you're hearing the yell already. Um, so it's kind of a nice visual mind, um, not not fuck, but it's, it's just kind of like a, a little tactic, I think. I don't know. I, thought, I, thought, I think it is interesting, um, but... You know, Ren's worried, and so he tackles her and kind of maybe saves her life. Maybe she would have dodged it. I'm not sure. So I think none of us are sure. You're not supposed to be sure. Right. Again, showing that she's reckless, and she actually even probably has little regard for her own life because she's tired of this town. You know, we saw it earlier mm-hmm. with the semi-truck, and we see it again here with this truck where she wants to, she wants to get out of this town one way or another. If she gets to college, okay. If she does it by dying from a train, that's okay to her, too. Yeah. Uh, so he takes her home. Um, Ariel in, is in trouble for getting home late. And just overall, she's frustrated. She's frustrated with her father, the reverend, and he doesn't want her hanging out with Ren, all this kind of shit. So they're just butting heads right now. Willard talks to Ren and we find out that he's been kicked off the gymnastics team. I do find it interesting that this small town had a man, a, ma- a male gymnastics team anyway, because very few places have males gymnastics. Mm hmm. Because it's expensive. All that all that equipment is pretty damn expensive. But anyway, he got kicked off. 
it's because he's been seen with Ariel and because he's seen as a troublemaker. And so like all this kind of word gets spread around in the small town. They discuss things, you know, Willard jokes about creating a nightclub in town and that sparks an idea for Ren. He wants to throw a dance. That's it. Let's throw a dance. Let's throw a dance that this town has never seen. We get a little montage of uh, the Reverend. He's talking to different groups. I do like good editing here. I like this. He's saying the same speech to like three or four different groups and you're just cutting perfectly. You're not hearing the same words. You're hearing the speech in its full, but it's to different groups. Just kind of, in my opinion, showing, you know, that he really has everyone's ear in town. Yeah. So we can also hear that the Reverend later... Uh, at home is talking to some townspeople that the, there's this dance that's going to get organized uh, while Ariel sneaks out of the house with Ren and Willard and others or with Ren and Willard and Rusty. They're going to go cross the state line and they're going to go dancing. And so we get to this uh, very country bar and we find out Willard can't dance. And so he's just sitting, you know, at a table, just drinking beer, too much beer. And Rusty is not having fun while we see Ariel and Ren. They're out on the dance floor and they're having a good time. You know, they dance to a couple different songs, including Footloose pops up again, just kind of reminding us that that song is the thing. Uh, and eventually, Rusty just can't take it anymore, and she gets that on the dance floor. And while she's out there, she ends up kind of bumping into and dancing with this older, larger gentleman. Makes Willard jealous, and so he gets up there, he gets out there, and he starts kind of yapping at the dude, who ends up punching him in the face. <laughs> so, interesting enough, during this scene, my initial thought was, Willard's drinking beer, but they're in high school. Yeah. And so it, it got me curious as to when did the drinking age move from 18 to 21? It was 1984. Oh, was it, it was really? this year. So probably when they were filming the movie in 1983, it was still 18. Gotcha. And then that the year that this came out is when it moved up to 21. Yeah, fair. Uh, I'm going to throw out my controversial matter on that subject. Um, which I'm not sure is that that controversial. I think it should be lowered back to 18. This is my own opinion because, or it, it, my and where I tie it into is, if you can get kicked out of your house, if you can be drafted for a war, mm-hmm. you should be able to have a beer, or make the draft up to 21. <laughs> Push right. that either or because I don't think I don't think you should be able to die for your country and sober not be and not <laughs> well, and not. <laughs> Fair, but I don't think you should be able to die for your country and not be given all the rights to any as any other adult. Fair enough. Yeah, I would go. Well, no, that's not good. I mean, I would go the opposite way and, and up it to twenty five. But I would also, uh, in places where weed is legal, I would also up that to twenty five. And here is my mm-hmm. argument: weed has shown. Hear me all the way out before you judge me. Has shown to that it can cause issues in children and young people. What it also has shown is that once you've reached the age of 25 and your brain is fully developed, weed does nothing to you. Gotcha. So if medically speaking, like at the point when you're 25 and your brain has finally like, cause that's when they say 25 is when the brain has so, finally fully developed. I've heard that too. Make it fine. Legal 25. Boom means you are, at that point, you're not doing any damage to your brain. You mm-hmm. can do damage to your brain under the age of 25, and that is the issue. And so, like, I have no problems with weed being legal. If it does show to be more of a benefit to just wait till you're 25, awesome, wait till you're 25. Yeah. 
And I, I understand that argument as well. So, so. as far as drinking, that's it's so ingrained in the culture. It'd be it'd be difficult to make a decision one way or the other, and yeah. people are going to abuse it regardless. So it's hard to make an argument one way or another. Fair. I don't Fair. drink that much, right. so it doesn't affect me. Sure. Also, I'm 42, so I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, look at you and your privilege, you old white man. Uh, yeah, you're about right. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, on the drive back here. Woo, privilege. <laughs> on the drive back, let's get back to Footloose, okay? Okay. Which is also all about privilege. Yeah. Um, but on the drive back, uh, they are on this specific bridge, which the kids... Uh, we talk, they talk about, and they find out that, you know, that's when this whole thing started. A couple of kids were driving over this bridge and they got distracted or something and they went over the bridge and they died. And it all started from this because this was Ariel's older brother was one of them. So all this kind of from here, things kind of like make a little sense as to why the Reverend is so intense against it, all this kind of stuff. The next day, Reverend tries to get out of Ariel where she was and they end up bickering and he ends up slapping her at one point, uh, which is, he even admits is not something that he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just, it's kind of showing that their relationship is the tensions are, are coming to a head. And he later talks to his wife about it. And it's a great scene. I think this is a great scene between these two actors Two, like I said, two the best actors in the movie, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, at least, at least, at least at this point in time. And they just, he feels that, that they're losing her, but Vi feels, and she sees it, that's more of he's chasing her and she's running from him. They have a very good dynamic, uh, So, but just kind of showing that she is a bit of the voice of reason, Vi, uh, that his wife is pretty logical, and I think she can kind of almost get an outsider's perspective. She's almost like the audience perspective, in my opinion. So, um, Ren tries to convince other kids to come to this planned dance, uh, but at this time, he ends up getting attacked by some of Chuck's friends. But luckily, Woody, this big friend of theirs, they st- stops him and you know helps them out. Just a quick little scene. But um, then we get a unnecessary shower scene uh, where we get some eh, some male butt for the ladies. You yeah. know, let them enjoy. So, but we find out that uh, or, you know Ren's gonna have to convince the city council, a uh, little town council there, uh, which Shaw is on uh, and some other people, and so. Ren is going to need to get up in front of them. And he's like, oh, if I'm going to do that, then Willard, I'm going to teach you how to dance. So then we get a wonderful little dance montage of Ren teaching Willard, uh, dancing to the song. Let's hear it for the boys by Denise Williams. And these scenes were added because Chris Penn legitimately could not dance. And I think you could tell. Yeah. But it but it makes sense. It adds, a, it adds a lot more to it because, like, he didn't grow up on music. He didn't grow up dancing. And so, like, he wouldn't be able to. And so I think it's a fun aspect. You know, it's almost like a training montage, <laughs> you know, like you see in like a in a, in a action movie. But you're getting it here in this um, in this dance movie. So it's good. Uh, back in town. Uh, the Reverend is told about a book that was found that someone wants to burn. In general, here, the Reverend doesn't see the big deal, and he doesn't want them to burn the books. Because um, right. that's some Nazi it, shit. That is some Nazi shit. It's, it's interesting because it shows that he does have a line. He does have some 
moral compass when it comes to artistry. You know, he doesn't like the rock and roll music. He doesn't like the stuff that I guess personally affects him because of his son's death. But, you know, he, he does see the value in books and finding that book burning is a bad thing. And Mm -hmm. so he pushes against that. Ariel is then confronted by Chuck and he knows that she's on to Ren and, you know, he, he's pissed off at her. Cause yeah, as you kind of said, he, he overinflates his own value in her life. Um, and they end up fighting. He hits her at one point. She then goes after his truck with a big old pipe and he punches her hard in the face because of that. So he's obviously a douche of a villain here. Yeah. We cut to uh, Ren has come and to help check on her and things like that. And they also, discuss this upcoming battle with the city council and here they kiss for the first time because you know they've had this dynamic between them this this you know you could tell that they like each other but they've still not kissed and it's not until this moment which yes she's in a vulnerable state but she's also not in her she's not i think it, it it's it's a bit of a of a thing where ren is is trying to comfort her uh, but also you know you can tell he has feelings that he loves her right. And she, her, she who has just been punched and, and you know, she's not looking her best. Um, he doesn't care about that. You know, he, he loves her for her, I guess I would say. Yeah. So at night, Vi and Reverend talk about this dance and she tries to, she tries to honestly be a bit rational about it. Again, she is, she is the logical person in this town, in my opinion. You know, she's pushing that this dance isn't going to become a sin. I really like her points. Like dancing is isn't going to lead to sex. Don't you remember when we were kids and we just like looked at each other and we had those feelings just by being near one another? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with her. Like kids are going to, kids are going to have hormones no matter what. Right. But in they just kind of have this back and forth because he's sad that she doesn't believe him. And, and, you know, she's sad because she thinks he's, you know, just he's gone off on this crusade, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ariel and others are promoting the town council that's coming up to show support for Ren, who's going to be going to talk and to show support for this dance. She then uh, hands Ren a Bible with some passages marked in them. Huh. OK. And then that night, uh, some asshole kids or some people, maybe it's other adults in the town, throw a brick through that house's window. Uh, Ren's cousin's room is the one that gets busted into. So they're I mean, they're kids. They were like five and six or something. Yeah. And they are scared. It says burn in hell on it. Uh, the uncle of course is pissed about this. And we find out that the mother lost her job and the mother wants, the uncle wants him to just stop all this shit. You know, Ren goes to talk to his mom about this stuff. He has a heart to heart with her. And we get a little bit about Ren's backstory here. Again, I like this form of storytelling where Mm -hmm. we're setting up like, okay, we know that his mom and he are now living in the small town from big town, Chicago, there's dad is nowhere to be found. Did he die? What happened? We find out that he left them, basically. And so it's like, here is where we get it. Like, it's not, I feel like a lot of other things nowadays, just like, well, I'm sorry your dad left you. Uh, here you are in this small town. Like, it would just get, it would get told to us. Right. And yeah, we're kind of getting told to it here, but it, it feels different. It feels more like we're shown because we've seen so much before it. Yeah, I, d- I do tend to hate it when uh, a movie like front loads all the exposition that you need to know for the yeah. rest of the movie at the at the beginning because it's never as effective. And, and here we definitely get to discover it mm-hmm. as we go along. On the other hand, I watch a lot of YouTube. And I watch, I watch a lot of reactors. And I like watching reactors. I think it's a it's a fun thing. 
one thing that makes me, I should say makes me mad, mad is too strong a word, that makes me irritated is when, like, which the other thing that makes me laugh is when reactors to ask the camera as if we we're going to talk back to them immediately. But then they'll ask questions like, well, what about this? What about this? Well, uh, I need to know this. Well, no, you you will, you need to know it when the storytellers decide it is your mm-hmm. turn to know it. Be patient. Nobody has patience anymore for <laughs> yeah. storytelling. And I have, I have the same problem with songwriting. People have no patience for a song. They want mm-hmm. two and a half minutes, no intro, just start the song, <laughs> here's the words, here's the hook, and you're out. And it it honestly drives me crazy. Anyway, there I'm gonna step off my soapbox. Sure. <laughs> right. While Ren and his mother talk, and we can also get a little bit more about just Ren in general, why he has found this passion. Um, because he brings up that, you know, everything he tried to do to keep his dad from leaving, it didn't do anything. It didn't make a difference. But here in this town, he feels he actually can make a difference with this push for the dance. So that's kind of some some of his Motivation mm-hmm. as a character, and I like that. So then we cut to the town council meeting. Ren gets up to talk to try to abolish the no dancing law. You gotta love Vi. One person's about to, like, from town's about to stand up and talk shit to Ren, and Vi's just like, It is outrageous. If you think that we. Eleanor, sit down. I think Mr. McCormick has a right to be heard. You'll love that. Yeah. Ren gets up in front of everybody and he gives this impassioned speech about the history of dance that it's there to celebrate. He gives these Bible quotes, which boom, like, holy shit, you know, oh, you're going to spout your religion to me? Guess what? Your religion is actually on my side. King David, who, who we read about in, in Samuel, and, and, and what did David do? What did David do? What did David do? David <laughs> danced before the Lord with all his might. Leaping, leaping and dancing before the Lord. Leaping and dancing. And Ecclesiastes assures us that there is a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to laugh and a time to weep. A time to mourn. And there is a time to dance. Honestly, I think this is a really, really good speech. Yeah. It's a good, honestly, movie speech moment. You know, it's not... I'm not going to say it's the president in Independence Day right. moment, but it's it's good. It's up there, yeah. you know. Uh, then we cut to the next day at work uh, for Ren, and his boss is talking to him. It's actually funny enough. This boss is one of the unsung heroes of the of the story. <laughs> um, he kind of lets him know, hey, you know, I know you think that the county line starts all the way down there, but actually, it's just across these little tracks right here. Mm-hmm. You know, this this the warehouse where we're at is pretty much in the county, so they can't do anything to you. And he does, but he does further say, hey, you should go check with the reverend to try to get his consent on this and just try and do it the right way. Um, so it's kind of a very logical. I, I, I was kind of curious about I feel like there's got to be more to his story that might have got left on the cutting room floor because he seems like a pretty good. I don't know, not quite father figure, but he ends up being like a nice a nice aspect for Ren for this movie. Mm-hmm. Ariel goes to watch her dad practice a sermon. They actually have a bit of a genuine talk, but you know, then they end up getting angry with each other and 
she gets really pissed at him. She lets him know, I'm not even a virgin anymore. And of course, he's very upset about that. Uh, and then this woman busts in and we find out that people at the library are burning books. And so the reverend has to rush over there uh, and stop that. And he gives a nice little speech to them. But, like, you know, the Satan's not in these books and stuff like this. And Ariel sees this. And I think this, you know, helps her kind of realize that he's not all fire and brimstone. He mm-hmm. has some passion for artistry, yeah. you know, as we saw. All right. We cut to later. Ren talks to the Reverend. He has his own little heart to heart with the Reverend. We don't really see about this guy. We're just kind of cut at the end of it, which is nice. They apparently had talked about their Reverend son that he, that Ren can kind of connect with and he can kind of give him ideas about his father and things like that. Um, We also find out that he asked the Reverend for his approval to take Ariel to this dance, which is going to happen no matter what, Mm -hmm. you know, he ends up leaving and Ariel does have a nice connection with her dad at this point. Uh, then we get a sermon. This is a, the sermon right before the dance is going to be happening. And the Reverend speaks of this upcoming dance of it happening. And he basically kind of gives its blessing and just says, Hey, let's just pray for their safety and things like that. Yeah. So everybody's excited because he's, he's not lamb lambasting it. So, uh, as they all prep for the warehouse, we get uh, really another good Kenny Loggins song. I'm free. So later, Ariel's all dressed up for the dance. Of course, you can tell she's nervous for it. And her mother gives her a corsage and all this kind of stuff. And Ren comes and takes her. I do like his just funny little. They seem like these genuine moments. You talked about the tractor moment, a similar little thing where he forgot to unlock the door. And so he's got to go around and get it. And then he has to yeah. <laughs> shut it and then kind of kick it shut again. Little, little aspects that just kind of make it feel like it was a legit, <laughs> a legit thing. We cut to or we get to the dance and. Uh, no one's dancing, of course. It's totally awkward. Right. Because no, none of <laughs> almost them, middle school style. I was going to say, none of them ever did this. My son went to a dance at middle school, and when this scene came up, I looked at him, I was like, is this what it was like at your dance? He was like, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is until Ren comes in, and they kind of get things started. Um, and we do see Reverend uh, Shaw and Vi are looking from a distance. And I always kind of forgot who this character was, but it was Ren's boss who comes up and he's mm-hmm. just kind of like watching the area. Yeah. And he kind of talks to them and he's just like, hey, you did a good thing here. And, you know, they're almost embracing dancing. You know, Vi's excited about this yeah. in general. So Willard and Rusty get there, but just as Chuck and some of his goon friends drive up and they end up, you know, beating him up at first. But then Willard, you know, fights back. Uh, and Ren comes out, and he starts to rescue him by giving Chuck a flying Bruce Lee kick. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just a bit silly. Yeah, you know they end up winning the fight, and they go back into the dance. And you know he thought this was a party. Let's dance! And it Footloose plays, and the whole turns the whole town turns into amazing dancers. Right, and it's just good times. And we end with a couple visual credits. So. Um, I'll let, uh, I guess I'll let you start sure. us off. I mean, I, there's not too much I'm going to be able to say about this movie. It's a classic. I love this movie. It's fun to watch. It's full of heart and fun dance sequences that just make you want to get up and move. The music is great. The acting is great. Uh, we've already mentioned both, uh, Diane Veast and John Lithgow's acting in this, in this movie. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to add too much to the conversation. I will say, my son did really like it. 
He really did enjoy it. I think some of the parts maybe towards the beginning were a little slow for him, which I can totally understand. But he's, I think he's starting to really get into movies. He told me after we finished this that Stand By Me is his new favorite movie. Wow. So Good call. Yeah. So I, I, I think he's starting to kind of enjoy... Now, granted, that's a coming of age, and plus, those characters in that movie are about where he is in age, so I can totally see yeah. being able to identify with him. And maybe, I don't know, maybe in four or five years we rewatch this one, maybe he can identify a little bit more with those characters since they're older and stuff like that. But he really did enjoy it, which is which is really good. And I think he's I think he's really getting into film as a medium um, from mm-hmm. me forcing him to watch all these movies for this podcast. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's having a positive Some- effect, I think. There's some real depth to it. So, yeah, very cool. Uh, I Very similarly, I just, you could obviously tell I loved this movie as well, just watching through it. It's got heavy layers of 80s cheese mm-hmm. that may not be as relevant now, but I do think the vast majority of these themes are always going to be topical. The idea of generational differences and allowing youth to express themselves in their own art, even if it's new to you. That kind of idea of these rock and roll and that's that's warping their minds. It's like, no, they're different than you. You know, your music, your Elvis rock and roll and stuff was different than the stuff before that. Hell, even at one point, Mozart was probably seen as being a bit, you know, wild for his time. Of course. I saw Amadeus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, the ideas of over-controlling parents. You know, it's that, that mentality of... You know, you're trying to hold on to something, but if you squeeze it too tight, you'll end up crushing it. But you have to kind of let it blossom on its own. You know, treating that younger generation, younger generation is one that you have to learn to trust and, you know, and allow them to be trust uh, to to earn that trustworthiness. I, I think they're fantastic, you know, elements of this movie that I understand more as a kid or as an adult than I did when I was younger. So I think it, it, it's worth a rewatch because you're going to pick up on some more things. Yeah. It's got fun dancing. It's got fun comedy at times. Good drama at times. The soundtrack is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal soundtrack. And it just it, and that kind of drives the pacing of the movie. It's just really good music, which of course makes sense. If you're gonna have a movie all about music and dancing, you gotta have a soundtrack that helps push it through. And so that all that really helps. And I just this is a this is a classic. And it's yeah. it's gonna be a struggle for me to think. Any remake of this movie, even with the casting I brought up, is going to be as good. Right, of course. All right, now we are moving on to another John Lithgow classic, Third Rock from the Sun. This show ran from 1996 to 2001, six seasons, 139 episodes on NBC. It was created by Terry and Bonnie Turner. They're a husband and wife writing team. Uh, They wrote on SNL for a good while. Mm. They also wrote uh, the Coneheads movie. Obviously, there's a lot of similar elements uh, to that one, to this. Um, They wrote both Wayne's World movies, Tommy Boy, and they also created that 70s show. So that's a very solid resume. Absolutely. Obviously, this show, if you didn't know, it's a group about it's a it's about a group of aliens who are sent to Earth disguised as humans. Um, to experience and report on the third rock from the sun, if you will. <laughs> so that's the gist of, uh, that's the kind of tagline, If you're, not the tagline, that's that's the gist of the mm-hmm. show. Uh, the cast, Dr. Dick Solomon is played by John Lithgow. Uh, he is the commander of the mission, and he actually won three Emmys for best lead actor in a comedy series because of the show. 
Sally Solomon is played by Kristen Johnst- Johnston. Uh, you might recognize her from Austin Powers. Yeah. She plays Ivana Humpalot. Yes. I think it's, I, had, uh, I had a pretty big crush on Kristen Johnston when, oh, this, when yeah. this show came out. Valid. Uh, she was also in a show called The Execs, and she had a few other things. So uh, she was the lieutenant. She was second in charge in the show. And she actually won two Emmys for supporting actress in a comedy series right. for this one. Harry Solomon, played by French Stewart. We talked about him in Stargate. Uh, he starred in the Inspector Gadget sequel. He was in Broken Arrow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of the weird one of the group. Even though they're all weird, right? he's the extra weird one. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, Tommy Solomon is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You know, one of his early roles that really helped bring him in. I mean, he's become, of all of them, one of the, I guess, one of the biggest name actors, at least, of current current status. He's Inception, Looper, 10 Things I Hate About You, tons of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he was the information officer and third in command. He was also, even though he was the kid, he was obviously, like, the smartest right. of the group. Uh, Dr. Mary Albright was played by Jane Curtin. You know, she was an, uh, an awesome and she was one of those classic starter SNL characters or actors. She was one of the Coneheads, so it all fit very well uh, in the show Kate and Allie as well. So she's awesome. Jane, you ignorant slut. Exactly. <laughs> that the, classic uh, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin. Uh-huh. From SNL. Uh, but she played a professor colleague of Dick's uh, at his work and kind of his on again, off again, love interest and girlfriend. Um, I also want to mention. One of my favorite characters of all time, Newman, played uh, Wayne Knight. Newman wasn't in the show, but Wayne Knight plays a character. He plays a police officer that uh, was kind of a love interest for Sally for a good bit of the show as well. And others who had appeared on the show for at least one, I think multiple episodes each. uh, John Cleese, Anna Gasteyer, Phil Hartman, Sam Lloyd, uh, Roseanne Barr, plenty others. Of course, you get a show, you know, that that has these many people. It's going to it's going to pop up. Yeah, I just watched one episode for this, but the one I saw was the one with Phil Hartman. Oh, nice. And he played kind of a flamboyant hairdresser or something something like that. (laughs) The show's humor, very similar to Coneheads, honestly, if you've ever seen it, the skit or particularly the movie. It's principally pulled off from the aliens are trying to understand human society and understand just kind of the human, you know, condition. But it's it's they're reflecting on, you know, the human life and how they're acting. It's fish out of water. It's totally fish-out-of-water comedy. Right. So, let's talk a little bit about the intro. Uh, that is a, it's a beach rock-sounding intro song, mm-hmm. and I think it, it works, you know? I think it's pretty simple. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, it either made my list or made my honorable mention um, on our '90s yeah. uh, TV sitcom theme shows. I think it made my list actually. I remember, it, yeah, we talked about it at some point, and I, yeah, I think so. But there was a point in season five where they changed it up a little bit and actually had is still instrumental, but it was done by Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Uh, for for that just that season five, I think they went kind of back to the more original one in the in the last season, and I agree it was not the the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy was not as good of a version. Yeah. Funny, I don't know if you noticed when you were looking up the shows, most of all of the show titles were involved around 
Dick's name. Yeah. And it was kind of a play on a pun. And I did notice that. You'd have episodes episodes called Green Eyed Dick or Frozen Dick or Angry Dick or Dick Like Me or so on. So on and on and on and on. You know, obviously there's just a thing of humor probably for the writers. (laughs) who's like, hey, this will be stupid. Yeah, I, I actually, we forgot to mention, what did you... What do you remember of watching this show from the time it was out? I remember, I don't know that it was like regular viewing, but I remember enjoying it whenever I saw it on, um, probably when it was either doing reruns or something like that or in syndication. Like I said, I had pretty big crush on Kristen Johnson, so I always enjoyed watching it. Um, and I just, I found it to be particularly funny. So it was just, it was one of those ones where, I, you know, I didn't go out of my way to watch it, but if it was on, I was going to watch it. Sure. I, and I kind of remember the same thing. Like, I, this is not scheduled viewing for me, but if it was on during a block of sitcoms that I was enjoying, I wouldn't turn away from it. Mm-hmm. I I liked the humor. It, it just kind of was, it was around, and I remember enjoying it. Uh, yeah, so that's the gist of the show. I don't really have enough depth to go into it because I didn't watch so much of the show when I was younger that I have like all these memories or stuff like that. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of the overall pa- uh, perspective of third rock from the sun. And I'll go ahead and start off my, my sure. bits. Um, I watched, I think two, maybe three episodes in general. It felt very much like a late nineties show. It, you know, it was kind of hard to find. I couldn't find it on streaming. I couldn't either, but I think I found like pretty much every sh- episode was on daily motion. Oh, okay. I found it there. Um, so I watched enough, and I'll say, I actually had a pretty good, pretty good time. I watched episode one, uh, and then I watched like some two other random ones. I think one from like season four and one from season five. And I'll say, I thought the show was pretty good still. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty classic fish out of water comedy. I do think the premise gets a bit old after even a few episodes because right. you're like, I get it. You're not humans. It's, <laughs> it's silly stuff. You know, yo, you don't understand why humans do taxes and there's wacky adventures that are going to come because of that. And it was kind of the same kind of formula thing. It's just a here, insert weird human ritual, and they kind of misconstrue it. But it, it was fine. I thought I thought it was funny enough, for sure. Yeah, I watched one episode. I think it was like the seventh episode of season one. Uh, it was one that Phil Hartman was on. And it was funny. I think a little bit it was a little too silly. And I think maybe if I had mm-hmm. gone into like maybe season three or four, it would have found its voice more. Because, I mean, it had a, it had a good enough run. But I found myself in, uh, laughing and enjoying it. I did agree the sort of fish hour water thing got pretty old pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just because we've seen enough of that. Yeah. And I think in, in the late 90s when this came out, it was new enough that it wasn't too bad. Because I, I remember not hating ever, you know, ever getting sick of the show, really. Then, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. Yep, I agree. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... So how is my pot roast? Almost as good as Aunt Rosie's. Well, it should be. It's her recipe. Let's call her. But it's long distance. Wouldn't that be expensive? Not if you dial 1010321 first. Saves a ton. How's it work? Just dial 1010321, then one, then Aunt Rosie's number. Is it okay if we all say hello? Sure. Talk away. 1010321 is a real bargain. All my calls over 20 minutes are half price. Let's pass that phone around. Rosie, does this smell familiar? <laughs> he doesn't want to save 50%. All right, now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Footloose using actors of today. we got a few characters to do. Didn't need to do all of them, so we're going to do Ren, Ariel, 
uh, the Reverend. We'll do his wife, Vi, and we'll do Willard and Rusty. And I think that's probably a good list of uh, yeah. characters to do any more than that and becomes unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will tell you that I cast this with the idea of it still taking place either in the early 80s or late 70s. Okay. I don't know that the premise of a town that's outlawed dancing really fits today. Yeah, so it's a period piece. So it's going to be a period piece. And, and and maybe I'll take the inspiration of the original Oklahoma 1978 town and kind of set it there. Okay. And think more. I mean, the difference between 1978 and 1984 is, you know, six years. Not that really that big of a deal anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how I kind of, that's how I see uh, my version of this film. All right. Mine, mine, I'm sticking to kind of our typical where it's set. It's not, I guess, it's, yeah, more typical. It's set in modern times. Okay. All right. So we will start with Rusty, played by a uh, very young Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. And Adam, who did you pick? Uh, so I did a, I know you've used this person before. Hell, I might have used this person before, but she was a good side fun character in the um, Netflix series Wednesday, and she played a roommate and a kind of eventual best friend of our title character Wednesday, but she was the werewolf roommate. I went with Emma Myers as my Rusty. I really like that call. I know you've uh, used her before, but she was she was kind of a standout in that series, and so yeah, I agree. Be nice to see her. I agree, and she would pair well with my Rusty because I went with Jenna Ortega. Oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's funny. It's a big it's a big name for your Rusty. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's any bigger than. I mean, she's bigger than than um, oh, or whoever you just called who I can't remember the name. Emma that you Myers. Just said, Emma Myers. Bigger than Emma Myers, but. Even though she's she is popular, she's still fairly young. So I think sure. she she I wouldn't believe her as an aerial. Okay. I don't I don't think she 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 doesn't seem old enough. She still has a very young look to her. So I would see her more as a rusty than an aerial personally. Cool. She does look very young. Yeah. yeah. Which I do want to speak to. I actually kind of even considered like, oh, hey, do I want to try and because it's so much easier for me, you know, to like uh, to find college looking kids than right. it is high school kids. Which, honestly, but, most of the kids in, in the original Footloose look like college kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kevin Bacon was like 25 or 26. Right. Um, I think all the rest of them were pretty close to that, too. Probably, except for I think Jared Sarah Jessica Parker might have been Younger. closer to 20. Yeah. But that I couldn't do that because you have too much freedoms in college, especially if you go off on your own. Right. This has to still be about the overbearance of a small town, the overbearing parental and, you know, that that the, the this church and all this kind of stuff that is the kids are they're sheltered these right. kids are being suppressed and so it only can really happen to those under 18 as much also so. most colleges are going to be in areas that are a little bit more liberal and or bigger yeah. cities where you it's going to be a lot harder to outlaw something like dancing so yep agreed uh, okay let's move on to Willard and I will start. And I picked an actor. I don't know that I've used him before. I want to say I have, um, but I cannot tell you where I had used him from. But uh, he's got a a good look to him. I might have him chunk up a little bit just to kind of be the more doofus. But I just kind of like the way uh, he looked for this. 
Uh, he's done a few things. He's done Manchester by the Sea. He's done Lady Bird. He did three billboards outside Ebbing, Ebbing Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Lucas Hedges. Yep, uh, I've definitely seen him. I think I used him once or so before as well, or at least I've looked at him through that. I think he's got a good look for it. Um, I definitely, he's been Oscar nominated. He's a good actor. I saw him in Three Billboards in particular, which is a very good movie. I haven't seen the uh, either Later Bird or, or Manchester by the Sea, but um, I do think he is strong, and I think he could definitely do what is needed. Cool. Uh, who so. did you pick? So I uh, went with, uh, you know, I'm going to go to one of my wells, John, and one of my wells is Stranger Things. But I actually was trying to think of like, hey, do I really want to hire like dancers? You know, I was trying to think of, and this will come more into play with probably Ren and Ariel. I'll say one of them I did, one of them I didn't. But in general, I don't think you need to hire like high coordinated dance. You know, this is not this is not a musical movie where you're going to have a bunch of musical numbers Mm -hmm. and you need this is the best dancing in the world um, because these kids haven't been able to dance. And Willard in particular is a little bit awkward looking, right? He's an awkward dancer. And I think it fits Um, this kid. I think is a little bit awkward. He's not the most awkward in stranger things, um, but he is a good side character. And I think he uh, could play a good kind of side friend as well. I went with Caleb McLaughlin McLaughlin as my Willard. Okay. Yeah. I like that pick. Cool. That'd be fun. Uh, All right. Vi, the wife, who did you pick? So uh, we really lauded the acting chops of Diane Weist in, in this movie. Um, so I needed to pick a equally strong actress. Mm-hmm. And this person actually won an Oscar, I think it was in 2008 or nine, uh, for the movie that she was in, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Um, I don't always think of her as like, you know, oh, top tier actress. But then when I kind of look at her stuff, like, yeah, she is. She is a very good actress. I went with Penelope Cruz as my Vi. Okay. I mean, she's about the right age right now anyway. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So. I, I was looking around that age range, you know, that would look like they could have a high school aged kid. She, so. There was a movie that she did that uh, it was an Adam Sandler movie. I'm trying to remember the name of it. And it's not it's not an Adam Sandler comedy. It's mm-hmm. one of his serious ones. Oh, um, this is Ordinary People, maybe. Oh, I don't think it was that. No. I'm trying. I'm. I'm. Rain over me. Why can't I? All right. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go to Adam Sandler, and this is gonna bug me. Funny people. Get... Grownups. Just go with it. Zookeeper. Jack and Jill. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm fucking. Around. <laughs> yeah. Now you're just being an asshole. Um. Okay. I think it was in the 2000s. He plays a chef. Spanglish. Was that the Spanglish? One? That's it. Yeah. Okay. Spanglish. I think that movie uh, was better than I think it got credit for. Okay, I've, ne- I've never seen it. Yeah, I really liked it. Okay. And it's a little bit more serious, so I can see Penelope Cruz in that. That, that she, like, that... She was not in that movie, John. Oh, who am I thinking of, then? It's a Paz Vega, probably, who does oh, have... Oh, it is Paz Vega. Well, fuck me in the ass. Like, we'll edit all, all that shit out. <laughs> fuck. She looks like Penelope Cruz. She kind of does, yeah. Um, I went with an actress who isn't as big of a name, okay. but I, I like uh, some of the stuff that I've seen her in, and she's been around for a while, but she's only in her early 50s. She's been in The Hunger Games, which I won't hold that against her, and the thing that I most know her for was her role as the uh, 
cancer patient wife in The Green Mile. She plays um, the warden's wife, mm-hmm. the one who John Coffey heals the cancer yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but she's done a, she played Katniss's mother in Hunger Games and stuff like that. Okay. And she's about right at the right age that I want her name is Paula Malcolmson. I've definitely recognized her looking at her. I mean, I've seen, okay, I've seen AI, I've seen Tombstone. I haven't seen any of the Hunger Games. Actually, you know, maybe I saw the first one, but I've forgotten it. Right. So I've seen her around, but uh, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but I will assume, oh, she's on Ray Donovan. Uh, she's been working like, pretty consistently. Yeah, she is working. I heard Ray Donovan is an awesome show, but I, I love, and I love um, Leah Schreiber, so I need to see it, but there's also too many shows I need to see, <laughs> including Watchmen, including Last of Us, including a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she's been working so consistently. There's, she's got to be good. All right, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. She's got to be good. Mm-hmm. All right, the Reverend. I will have to say, out of all the roles, this was the one I had the hardest time casting. Okay. And the reason is, is the Reverend needs to, in my opinion, be both, both intimidating and have a softness to him. Mm-hmm. And that's something that John Lithgow just does so well yeah. that it's really hard to find someone who who can do both. And I hope I found it with this actor who has done quite a bit of stuff. And most of it has been fairly rough and tumble. Mm-hmm. But he's a good enough actor that I think I can get him. I think I can get a good performance out of him. Um, and everyone seemed to love his character in the Book of Boba Fett. Um, Nobody loved anything. I, I, I didn't love anything about Book of Boba Fett. Well, then you're an idiot because there was some really good stuff that came out of that show. <laughs> uh, don't don't tell me you didn't love it when uh, Cad Bane showed up. All right, I love Cad Bane. Loved that. Are you, you did loved you did you I do Cad Bane? Is he the guy? No, I did not pick that. Uh, I went with uh, Cobb Vanth, the one that Cad Bane kills, or quote unquote, you think he kills. Uh, and that's Timothy Oliphant. Oh, okay. Fair. That's a good call. I think it's a good call. I like Timothy Oliphant. He's a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, about the right age. He's in his early 50s. I can I can definitely get the fire and brimstone out of him. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like, I haven't seen the, the show, but I've seen clips from like Justified mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I think I can get a, a good uh, good out of that. But I, I think he's a good enough actor. I can get the, the, sure. the softness as well. I agree. All right. Who did you go with? Uh, someone who I think you will agree has the intimidating side, but he's definitely a strong enough actor. I'm sure he could do the softer, you know, more subdued acting as needed as well. Yeah, you're definitely going to agree on the uh, intimidation part. I went with Javier Bardem as my reverend. Okay. But he's been doing tons of stuff. I mean, you know, he can. He, ha- he has. Yeah. He has. But he's a he's a solid actor. And yep. um, I know he's done. I, I'm pretty sure he's done some more romantic things, yeah. like in in like uh, in the Spanish side of, yeah, of movies and stuff. I never like saw that. that that beautiful movie, um, but right. I'm pretty sure that's a little bit more of a romantic side, more drama esque. And and that I haven't heard anything about it being like a horrible movie or anything like that. So I can only imagine he did a good enough job. Sure. I can totally believe that. I can definitely believe him as like the fire and brimstone preacher. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah, but it, you know he's a good actor. There's nothing that tells me that I can't. Uh, he can't do the other thing too, so yep, cool with that. Uh, all right, Ariel, who did you pick? So I actually cast my Ariel first. I wanted to um, to try to you know match my Reverend more and and vie uh, t- 
to her. So I was trying to think around. I actually did consider Jenna or Denny Ortega at one point, um, but I didn't end up going with her. Um, I has a couple other folks that I went with. Um, now this is the person who I think can dance. She's actually more known as a singer cause she was in a recent, uh, musical movie, but I don't need her to, this is not, I'm not doing a musical version of this song of the show, but her having some dancing ability. Sure. I mean, we can utilize that at some point, but she has uh, been in things like the more recent Shazam fury, of the gods movie. She was, um, mostly notable in was it that Steven Spielberg version of West Side Story where she played Maria, uh, the mm. head girl, and uh, her name is Rachel Zegler. That's who I went with. I recognize that name as soon as you said it. Yes, I recognize her. Yeah. Yep. I mean, she uh, obviously. Can I don't act. have. Yeah, I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other, but it was okay. it was fine. Oh, she's gonna be playing Snow White in the. Yeah, she doesn't have too many credits, but I. I mean, she's done. She's got some big stuff under her. So she I does have some big stuff, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. I'm fine with that. Okay. Uh, I went with an actress who I've never used before, and she's uh, got a number of credits. I think when she was a little bit younger, she did a little bit more voiceover stuff, but she's been working pretty consistently since 2006, even though she's still in her early 20s. Okay. And she's most probably recently known as the title character in the uh, CW series, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, and her name is Kiernan Shipka. I actually have her down as one of the other considerations. I actually okay. thought she would have been a really good call. And then when I kind of shifted over to Rachel Ziegler, and I was like, okay, I kind of, you know, let's get a more Hispanic route. And then I can, and then mm-hmm. I came up with Javier Bardem. I liked all of that, but she was someone I actually heavily considered for a bit. So that's a great, okay, really good cool. Call. Cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm going for uh, the old white Midwest sure. family. So. Totally makes sense. If you're still in the eighties in the Midwest and all that stuff, they were still rampant racism and all right. that kind of stuff. It totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Our main guy, Ren, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with mine first because I did not have to think too hard about this. I used someone who I'd used a thousand times before, and he was the first person I thought of basically because he has a dance background. I, I, <laughs> that is his thing. Uh, I went with Tom Holland. And that was the very first name I wrote down, and honestly, that's who I want to go with. You know, fuck it. I'm changing in my answer. I want to go. I'm, I'm picking because t- that's who I want. He is the most Kevin Bacony of all the people I wrote down, right. and he's got the name. I actually, the one I was gonna go with was Tanner Buchanan from Cobra Kai. I've, I've used him twenty times as well. So, right. I want to go with the first name because you're right. He has a dance background. He has the name draw that can pull into it. He's 26, but he can still play high school. Yeah, he's I mean, got he's the still. Look. He's still gonna be playing Peter Parker in early college, which is good enough. Yeah. For me you know for what? I, I don't care school. that it didn't happen naturally. This is a, the same connection because he was the first name, and I just I pulled myself away because I was like, right. ah, I've used him too much. But then I ended up going with someone who I used too much. But I, right. but I need someone good for that role. I had I had a tough yeah. time with Ren. So yep, Tom Holland for me as well. Cool. When when you need someone in that that early early to mid twenties, he's one of the first names you go to, and then immediately I was like, I know he's got a dance background. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's more classical dance, but that doesn't matter. He can learn. Oh yeah, you know, whatever. But he can, he can do flips. He can probably do some of the uh, some of the gymnastics the stuff kicks. on his own. Yeah, and the flying <laughs> the flying kick. kicks. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's, I I I think honestly, it is it's the most logical choice. Yeah, 
Yep. And he will he will he will be the big name that draws people in. So, uh, all right, that was our recasting of Footloose. Please join us next time for another album review. John and I go over the '80s classic album Synchronicity by The Police. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. <laughs>